0: Hello and welcome to episode 139 of EFFECT. Together
1: we are one. I'm Matthew. And I'm Dave. And today we, as usual, have got a bumper crop of stuff to talk about. Um, We've got a few things uh, in the world of gaming. There's some Kickstarter stuff. There's a little bit of stuff we want to talk about uh, around the upcoming virtual conventions that are beginning to, to roll out, which is great. We have a new patron to thank uh, for joining us, which which Matthew will do in a minute. Then this episode, we are looking uh, as you know, together we are one as a fan community. We are looking at some um, fan products that have come up on the Free League Workshop that we like the look of, and we bought them up. And um, yeah, we'll talk about. Ooh, I think we've got about eight of those to talk about later on um, across a number of Free League games. Yeah, we took a
0: kind of survey uh, across didn't we so the we're not necessarily say, saying these are the eight best products or anything like that we just no nope, took is, a few to see what's being produced
1: yeah absolutely um so we'll 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 cut that in but in between talking about that we had a wonderful interview with the guys from trilemma adventures and mm. um uh, Craig Atkins, who is working with uh, with Michael from Trilemma on on a bestiary on a bestiary for Before Forbidden Lands. So we had a lovely interview with them. We will play that. We talked lots of stuff in there. That will be uh, yeah, that will be coming up a bit later on. And I think that will be pretty much um, That's the show. Pretty much the entire for show today. We'll,
0: we'll have some ideas. For, uh, hopefully, we'll think of something to talk about in the next show before the end of this show, and then we can announce that. Well, whilst, at the end of this show.
1: Well, whilst we whilst we're talking, um, why don't we both think about uh, homework for each other for next time, which we can we've got Excellent. until the end of the show to come up with something.
0: Let's do that. Cool. Okay, let's go.
1: Right, world of gaming. Um,
0: but first of all, before we go, no, and before oh, world of gaming, yeah, indeed, I would like to say thank you mm-hmm. to our latest Patreon, and that's Matthias uh, uh of Red Moon Role Playing. Well, uh, so welcome, Matthias. Thank you. Great to have him on board. It is. Uh, yeah, thank you very much for your patronage. Uh, and that's all I've got on the Patreon account this time.
1: But that's that's still a bumper crop.
0: World of Gaming, then. World
1: of Gaming. Okay, yes. Um,
0: so we were talking for the last couple of episodes about troubleshooters. You were. And I just wanted to quickly catch everybody up. That was a phenomenal success on Kickstarter and... Um, that obviously funded and stretch goals were made, so I'm really looking forward to getting that product. Yeah, something that's... that we haven't talked about, and I, I kind of feel like it's been kickstarted, and the campaign's finished between our two episodes, is role. Yeah, Are you aware of that,
1: Dave. I I am. I, it's a it's a role playing game platform for um. Well, I think it's a simpler simplified. So. I'm not the best expert to talk about this. I don't tend to use anything other than Zoom when I'm uh, role-playing online. But a lot of people use, uh, well, there's loads of them, and they're Roll20, virtual & Virtual tabletops. Virtu- yeah. yeah, exactly. And this is one of those. But I understand that it's um, it, it's intended to be a, a simpler, a simpler easier-to-access um, software for those who don't want all the bells and whistles that some of these other platforms offer. Um, but that's, yeah, a, that's so... about as much as I know about it, frankly.
0: Well I know a bit more about it because I backed it. Uh-huh. I backed it because like you I can I I I was an early uh backer of uh Roll 20 um around the time that it came out and around the time that we were struggling to get together to play games physically um just because of distance and yeah. family life and things like that and I thought this was going to be the answer to our problems and it wasn't i mean we we did run a couple of games uh with roll20 with google hangouts as the sort of video channel for that with some nice dice rolling but roll20 itself i felt even though i'd paid for the biggest sort of the most expensive subscription that gave the most power because i'm not a coder and css creator it was it didn't really add anything any value to me for all of that mm. and i do find that a lot of these things work really well if you can um, create um, a bit of code, or uh, at the very least,
1: um, lots of content. Know, yeah,
0: that sort of stuff. And and and, and frankly, as like you, uh, we have together decided that frankly, rolling dice on the table and talking to each other over Zoom is uh, the thing that gets in the way of role playing least, and enables us yeah. to role play at a distance. Yeah. And we've done a lot of that. You all have seen us on our YouTube channel, uh, YouTube slash c slash effect podcast if you're looking for it guys with a k Um, remember with a k with with a k in the effect yeah (laughs) um uh so yeah we 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 keep it simple stupid and we manage to have fun still what attracted me to roll is that i think they see that simple face to face contact over the over the youtubes as being the main thing they should be delivering so there's the there isn't a fancy virtual tabletop um there is a, a sort of uh getting finding players around the world type community built built mm. into it there is dice rolling built into it i think you can but just like in zoom you can you know you can put maps that you've made up on there and unlike zoom i think you can move the tokens around right but that's about it yeah so, um, the virtual tabletop bit isn't massively sophisticated but what they're hoping to produce is something if you like a bit more like a role play friendly zoom and that mm. seems to be what i want yeah um, okay
1: now i think that for me I, I find that there's um talking to people who do use a lot of these other systems a lot it, it feels like there's a huge overhead in preparing mm. for games by getting the maps in the right state and getting all the all the other assets that you need in in the right place and all the rest of it and as a, as a GM, I, I like to put my efforts into designing the scenario rather than what feels to me a bit like sort of legwork to get all the all the assets in the right place. Yeah. And, and also, I'm just not very good at doing that kind of thing with software. I'm very lazy and I, I want it to be super intuitive. And if it starts going wrong, I get frustrated very quickly. And... Um, that's, that's the well, It reason looks like, to me that Role me will off. be,
0: in terms of creating yeah. character sheets or something. It looks like you plug various things in. You don't have to write any sort of code. You you know drag and drop from a, a list
1: of mm. options. And in some of They're them, do working... look really good. I mean, our friend, uh, friend of the program, Paul, Paul Watson, he's working on um, some Up stuff for uh, for Alien, which is mm. which is looking really good. I mean, it absolutely looks absolutely beautiful. Uh, had a very brief sort of demo of it he showed it to us the other day and um, it looks lovely I didn't really get a sense of how easy or difficult it would be to use but you know knowing Paul I'm sure it's going to be it's going to be pretty pretty effective but um, yeah I mean it's things that look great are great I want Mm -hmm. things that look great and are really easy for a totally stupid person like me to use yeah
0: yeah I mean, we have problems even showing our screens sometimes.
1: <laughs> yeah, I know. That
0: that's the level people have. Yeah, to work yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is this is, um, this
1: is the bar is low with us. That's anyhow,
0: sure. uh, I don't know really why we're talking about Roll because I can't encourage anyone to join the Kickstarter. The Kickstarter's over. But they it, made a hundred thousand dollars, but it did fund it's going ahead.
1: Yeah, which is good.
0: But it, yeah, and it looks good. It looks good.
1: And I think you know, it, if if people are like us and they're looking for a a simpler version, then keep your eyes open for Roll. Um, I'm not sure when it's going to deliver and when it might be open for new customers to start using it, but um, keep yeah. your eyes open for it if that's the kind of thing that, that you might might help your gaming.
0: And um, I, I will say that uh, uh, being a backer, I'll I'll get early access. Um, they have Ooh. got streaming, so I imagine we might try running one or two of our games um, via roll when it when it when it appears. Yeah. Uh, so you'll get a bit of a preview of it on on our stream we do anything like that cool have um, we got any twilight 2000 news Dave?
1: um just a little bit there was a the second newsletter on twilight 2000 was issued a couple of days ago by free league a couple of days from when we're recording which is friday the uh, 19th of june so it came out i think 17th and that gave us an insight into some of the vehicle artwork that they're putting together which looks really good um as you would expect from free league the artwork and the presentation is going to be superb I was quite interested. I was—I don't know why. I kind of expected the artwork for this to be kind of super realistic, you know, making Mm. it look like it's almost like it's a photograph. But actually, they've taken um, the the style or a a hint of the style rather than the whole um, style—a hint of the style of the Mutant Year Zero artwork—and just wrapped that into the artwork for the vehicles. And it looks lovely. It looks really good. Um, yeah,
0: I had a look at that as well. I think the artist has done some other work. Uh, did he do some of the equipment for Forbidden Lands?
1: Yes, yeah. Is this some um, Nils Gillickson? N-
0: no, it's not no. Nils Gillickson, I think. Let's have a look. Artwork. Um, Is it Nicholas Brandt?
1: Yeah, Nicholas Brandt, Yep.
0: Yeah. yeah, and he, he's done a lot of the, the Forbidden Lands map. And so it, it worked for me really well. It looks like um, the sort of thing you might see in uh, a war comic. And when I say war comic, I'm thinking, obviously, battle, or um, which shows my age mm-hmm. in, and also shows my nationality. But something like you might see uh, Sergeant Rock, if you're a DC reader of the past. Um, yeah. I mean, I you know, realistic. It's, yeah, it's certainly not. Slightly comicky.
1: Yeah, it's certainly not comic. As you might, no. you know, that word might imagine, but Not um,
0: humorous comic or superhero comic, no,
1: gritty uh, comic. I'm gritty looking at comic. them now, and they are, they are really nicely done, as you say, but with that slightly, uh, I don't know what's the best way to describe it really, sketchy, yeah, slightly sketchy, kind of. It's definitely vibe pen and ink it. and
0: a sort of watercolor wash over yeah, to the vibe yeah. is going
1: for. Um, if you want to see them uh, and you have you don't know how to do it, go onto the Free League website and sign up for their newsletter. And you'll get those yeah. in your inbox um, whenever they issue them, which you know, the pace varies. But you'll And then... the newsletter
0: is online as well with a link in the show notes so people can see yeah. that. And see cool. exactly what we're talking about. Anyway, that looks good to me. And, yeah, just one more thing on the artwork. Um, this is a silly thing, but we talked about photorealistic and, and stuff like that. One of the things I was impressed by was that same thing is applied to the sort of um, sideways-on shots of the guns. That yes, yes a kind of essential part of i feel twilight 2000 the gun porn catalog yep um <laughs> and you know i bet you in older editions there were actual photographs or things like that or very careful line drawings in alien of course there's that similar sort of you know catalog of guns with obviously made up guns that don't really exist in the real world uh, i thought nicholas branch drawings here had more life in them than the alien ones i Alien's a lovely book, and I don't want to diss the artwork there, but there's a sense of lifelessness about those gunshots in Alien. I,
1: I think the difference is the, the artwork here for Twilight 2000 is kind of set more in a context. Like you say, you've got that oil paint wash in the background. Mm. I think that makes all the difference, because the other ones in Alien are just on a stark, dark yeah, background. Dark background. Um, yeah. And so you're not, it's not placing it in any kind of context. Whereas with mm. the wa- with the wash behind it on on these pictures, it, I think immediately it makes your brain place them in a uh, in a real yes. in a more realistic context. Yeah,
0: they do look anyway, really we'll, good.
1: They do look really good.
0: We'll put a link into the show show cool. notes, I should say. Shall we briefly talk about um, uh, UK Games Expo at the end of August? Cool.
1: Yeah. Okay. Go ahead. UK Games Expo. So uh,
0: with uh, Matthias Johnson Hack from um,
1: uh, free, free League From Free League
0: Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so Head honcho of Simbaroom And of uh, and of Coriolis now We came up with a, an idea For a panel which we've submitted To the guys at UK Games Expo And so on the Sunday We'll be running a panel That will feature uh, You and I, hopefully and, uh, and Matthias But also we've got uh, Somebody from Asmodee and somebody from Chaosium, uh, and we're going to be looking at established game worlds, and the sort of giving, uh, hopefully, coming up with advice for new GMs and new players when they're confronted by the rather scary level of detail mm-hmm. that games that have been around for tens of years have had. Um, and you know, we we noticed this with Coriolis. We've, you know, we've had a few people commenting on our lines or on on the on the on the panel um, sorry on the what do we call them forums
1: earth to matthew i mean come on man! what are you doing this last section (laughs) you just got everything wrong so just just guys just to summarize uk games expo we've got a panel talking about game law and the challenges it 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 brings um we've submitted that to uk games expo not free league but free league are involved and and matthias will be joining us on that panel
0: well done that's a good one (laughs) And that's happening on the Sunday at 11 o'clock uh, in the morning, British summertime. Yeah. Um, should be really not good. this coming Sunday. Uh, the Sunday of the UK uh, Games Expo, Virtually Expo, as yeah. they call it. <clears throat> the week after that, something else is happening.
1: Yeah, so Free League are, have decided that um, uh, they want to do their own thing. So there's going to be a, a virtual um I'm not sure if convention is the right thing, but it's called the Free League Showcase, which will be... um, Well, yeah, I said showcasing uh, free content and free league um, games and my turn to lo- like lose the thread of my sentence yeah so yeah
0: <laughs> shall i shall i shall, yeah, uh, you, you shall you i yeah you summarize for me will you? That, <laughs> you? so uh yeah we're uh, we're working with doug from victory condition gaming That's on this it. one yeah. uh, he's going to be effectively pulling it all together we're going to be launching i think a uh, a free league youtube channel with with lots of content during that weekend i think you're going to be running alien aren't you dave yep, and i absolutely. think i'm going to be running uh versen and Other stuff will be happening. I think we're going to get the guys in from um, Sweden Rolls as well. So it will be a great big free league virtual party happening in Hmm. the last weekend of August.
1: Yeah.
0: Is that a suitable pricey?
1: That was a million times better than mine, just like mine of yours was a million times better than yours. So
0: sometimes maybe
1: we we should should do that
0: thing of kind of having that discussion beforehand and writing a script (laughs) and then
1: then (laughs) saying what's on the script. No, well, making it up as we go why around. would we want to do that? That would just that would just make us look like we knew what we were talking about, wouldn't it? Yes. <laughs> so,
0: which brings us to dissident, dissident Whispers, because I want to tell yep. you a funny story about Dissident Whispers. Go on, then. I, I think we ought to say, first of all, that there's a lot of stuff going on in the world, mm. and um, particularly in America with uh, the Black Lives Matters uh, campaign, but that's got global ramifications. I think we can pretty categorically state that we are anti racist here at Mm -hmm. Effect Towers. And as part of that, I wanted to support a thing that has been put together by loads of people we know, including people from um, Morkborg. It's a book of, uh, what do they call them, systemless adventures (laughs) uh, from the creators of Mothership and all sorts of people like that. But it's all, you know, it's got graphic design from the guys who did Morkborg, or Merkborg, yeah. Uh, and I ordered that, um, kind of on impulse. Hmm. I could have got it as PDF, but I, I thought I'd go for the, uh, the, the hard copy as well. And then I realised I'd done a stupid thing. You? I'd ordered it from America. Oh, no. And, of course, I paid $30 for the thing and $28 something something for the shipping, for the shipping of the thing. <laughs> and my heart sank. And so I wrote, I wrote to them and I said, look, I think I might have to cancel this order and just get it on PDF. Uh, but they had twigged this. And I think there were many other people in my position because before they even got to my email, I know this because I got a sequence of emails where they said, we've cancelled your order. I thought, well, that was quick and they've hardly had time to read mine. And then they said, and now you can get it from, uh, from a UK distributor and pay less cool. postage. Uh, So Melsonian, I'll put again a link in the show notes. Uh, And now the physical thing plus the postage costs less than the postage did (laughs) from America. (laughs) So that's Dissident Whispers. It looks like a a great selection of um, adventures. And obviously money goes to support uh, legal action and things like that happening around the campaign in America. Nice. That, I think, is the world of gaming done. I think it probably
1: is, yeah. Next up, we, we, as we said at the start, were looking at some of the free League workshop content created by, uh, by fans. yeah, and we wanted to have a look at them and talk a little bit about some of them. As Matt said at the start, we had no real uh, criteria on on which ones we were going to pluck out um, from the, from the workshop other than we wanted to spread across um, free League games. So we've got stuff that covers Coriolis, Simbaroom, uh, thing, Tales of the Loop, um, Mutant Year Zero. Um...
0: Yeah, I think we've got just about every every yeah. uh, Free League brand that is represented in the Free League Workshop. Yeah, at least something from there. But it's not a review, is it? I mean, we kind of chose these a little bit on. Well, I chose them all actually, so I don't know why I'm saying we chose. <laughs> uh, I selected them based on oh, does that look nice or interesting, and let's just make sure that we're covering each of the each of the major lines yeah and it's more it's not a review of any of these items it's more a bit of a survey of the sort of stuff that people are producing mm. and the wide range of things that you might pick up or want to pick up from the free league workshop so Dave you go first what's the first thing that you looked at
1: well the first thing I looked at was by our patron um Millie the GM Millie Lavelle uh, um, called the Bargast the Bargast is a short um, scenario uh, story by Millie um, who set it in um, in the northwest of the UK which is a bit of the world that I am very familiar with and that I I love very much I went to university uh, up up there and her loop is set uh, kind of between Blackpool and Preston and the story mm-hmm. that she sets is, is is set in there it's a very short um, document it's only only four pages. But it gives a... Um, well, firstly, it's got a lovely look and feel for Tales from the Loop, uh, which is great. And um, the, the story, the, the, the truth that she has, which I won't go into. I don't want to do any spoilers on this. is a really nice, interesting premise. It's a, it's a, uh, I, I really liked the, the, kind of the charm that uh, the story has. And it's, it's kind of a bittersweet story that could end really happily, but could also be a little bit tragic. Mm. and it's really nice. I think the and it's it's
0: part of a series isn't it?
1: I, I think th- I think it is yeah. so I think there's a number, um, this is sort of the the, the opening salvo of um, uh, I think more of the same really uh, sort of short scenario story ideas that um, that you can pick up and then run on in your um, in your in your game. I think the my, my the, the one slight disappointment. I would, I would, I would um, record on this. Is um, she gives us maps for her Lancashire loop, which is which is lovely, but um, has has made the game agnostic, so obviously so you could play it anywhere. I was looking forward to a little bit of northwest nostalgia um, (laughs) in 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 reading this, and and because she's made it agnostic, which is you know absolutely right, so anyone can run it anywhere they please. Um, we kind of didn't get that northwest nostalgia. I was hoping at least for a picture of uh, Blackpool Tower or something um, in the background, but otherwise, okay. it's well, a lovely, it's a lovely little story.
0: That's an interesting question because, um, uh, and I think that, you know this might crop up as we go through these. Uh, but just thinking about uh, fan productions generally, um, art is it uh, can be difficult to saw so it's what, a tough one isn't it for that one?
1: yeah um well so there is there is no artwork other than the uh, other than the maps and say so it's a short doc- right. it's a short document so it doesn't it doesn't miss out from from not having artwork in it other than as i said my my hope for a bit of bit of northwest nostalgia of my old university days was was slightly dashed that was all slightly dashed <laughs>
0: There we go. Right, so th- my first item is uh, Forbidden Lands. Cool. And it is from the uh, the Hand of Pear Holstrom. And it is 100 Alternative Magic Mishap Table.
2: Ah.
1: <laughs>
0: so this is I, what it says on the tin. I do it's remember,
1: um, so I'm just going to chuck in a little aside here. I do remember when we ran our um, first grindbone competition... The magic mishap that happened to one of our players <laughs> She's basically zapped her completely out of existence into the planes of the demons which was just hilarious
0: uh, uh, and it was her very first action I mean, it was, was, well. yeah. she cast uh, that spell and whoosh got she was gone demon. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah. sorry I, I, uh, yeah i couldn't resist that little aside that was just such a fun memory
0: uh, so I'm just going to read a little bit uh, about um, about that from Per himself. He does a little introduction, and he introduces it better than I think I could. <laughs> um, so uh, the D66 Magic Mishap Table has 17 outcomes, and this one provides 100. <laughs> uh, it contains most of the original outcomes, but is complemented with at least 85 new ones. So I guess it contains 15 of the old ones. <laughs> um <laughs> And it's based upon uh, another bit of work, uh, the D100 table magical mishaps by Hecohedral Hector Hecatahedral Monk. Uh, so that's a little bit of um, you know sp- spreading the love of the fan community, cool. the wider fan community. It's got a lovely bit of cover art inside. It's got uh, the standard table format from, um, uh, from, from 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 Forbidden Lands. You know the templates. Uh, that, that exists there yeah. it's got one small illustration from pear it finishes the book and it says here's a small doodle for you uh, it's a lovely bit of work and if you're dissatisfied with the limited options on the magic mishap table mm. this is one you could pick up mm. so would they do you want to ask me a question about it
1: i am trying to um <laughs> when my brain slips into gear which it might not do this week. Um, so I'm assuming from that, there is a uh, a sliding scale of horribleness to the missout. Well,
0: it's funny you should say that. That's what, because it, it, that definitely happens on the 17 uh, mm. option table in, in the core book. Um, it, you know, get 66 and you get eaten by a demon <laughs> or pulled into hell by a demon. Um, that, doesn't necessarily seem to be the case here. So 99, for example, is the spell works fine, but your next D6 spells each provoke a roll on this table, whether or not they go <laughs> wrong when you roll them. Uh, 100 is roll twice and combine the two effects. Right. Um so I'm not sure necessarily that it's in ascending order. No. Uh, so the magic rips, op- uh, the magic rips open a rift to another dimension and a demon pulls the caster over to the other side. Time to make a new character is result number 34.
1: Okay. Really so, yeah, nice I don't
0: thing. think they're in order of horribleness. No,
1: no. Okay. And presumably it's just a D100 roll on the table.
0: And it's a D100 roll, yeah, yes. Yeah. So you've got to crack out two D10s, which... Yeah. Um, did we get D10s in the set?
1: Yeah, I think so. Yeah. 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 For, for, forbidden lads. Yeah. You get artifact dice of D10, don't you?
0: Yeah. We got a D8 artifact dice and a D10 and a D12. Yeah. That was it. Yes. Yeah. 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 Yeah.
1: Okay. So, yeah. Cool. Uh, So, yeah. That's my next one. What have you got next? Uh, so, my next one is a Simbaroon scenario um, mm-hmm. by Jason Duff of Earl of Fife Games in Colorado Springs. Uh, and it's called Slaves to Fate. And again, the first thing uh, I just want to mention is the artwork, again, is is really nice. It's got a really good feel. Particularly the cover artwork by Rachel Bonds is a lovely picture of a, a humanoid, possibly a changeling kind of creature, in the woods, in the snow, holding up a an amulet or a, a bracelet. It looks lovely. Um, the story itself is... It felt a bit like a cinematic scenario from Alien, actually. <laughs> um, in that mm. your your characters are thrown into a situation right at the start. Um, there are, depending on the, the the action that they take, there are kind of instant death outcomes in some of it. It's it, it's pretty uh, it, it's pretty unforgiving in that sense. But it tells. I again, I won't do any spoilers on on what the story is. But um, other than I guess you know the title implies how you might start the game if uh, uh, if you wanted to, to think about that uh, and it takes you through the story it, it's really nicely produced it's about uh it's 14 pages long it's it's presented as a a, a potential start for a campaign it's based kind of in the outskirts of davikar forest but with a potential for going deeper yeah it's a it's a it's a nice little game. One thing he does add is um he adds a starvation mechanic, which we haven't seen before. Oh right. Which um uh, again, again it's an interesting one, and I I know that um Mateus a long time ago was talking about um developing some rules for Simbaroom that sort of reflected the Forbidden Lands hex crawling idea. And there are some rules out there that that, that do that. Um, I haven't looked at them recently, but obviously they won't have a starvation mechanic. But this is quite good. It's, it's quite simple. Again, if you starve for too long, obviously you're going to die, and it affects your um, you you, know, you lose a, a bonus point per day of starvation until obviously you know the worst comes to the worst. Um, yeah, it's good. I it's say so it's quite an unforgiving scenario. If um you know, as with Simba Room, I think the players would need to be thinking about how they. You know, cleverly or tactically or subtly manage some of the challenges that are in there. If you just go straight for a D and D fight approach, you're not going to last terribly long, probably. But yeah, it's lovely. And as, as I said, it looks really good. I'm just looking through it now. There's a lovely picture of the forest, which is really nicely done. Um, and again, I think one thing it has done for me is it, it it's inspired me to want to do something similar for the free league workshop, but for Granite Hold as a location for people oh, to where, play in. Where we were playing. So yes. um, two things have, have kind of slowed me down on, on thinking about doing that. I mean, one, it's mostly written, but finding the time to do it justice, which I think I'm going to try and make the time. Yes. The other one is doing good maps and getting good artwork. Now, I haven't mm. cracked the artwork point. I need to look at, at what I can do for that. But our friend Paul, again, who you mentioned earlier, has agreed to do some maps for me. And seeing he's an expert on Arkham Forge and other other systems um, that's brilliant and I'm delighted I'm you know I'm so grateful to Paul for for offering to do that we just need to sit down and work out a little project plan about bringing it all together but yeah so this but this this thing by um, by Jason Duff is um, has inspired me to do that and it's it's a good little start starter scenario if you want if you're if you're struggling for something to get you into the forest and you want a scenario to use as the basis for your camp, the start of your campaign, this, this this is a pretty good place to start.
0: That's sounding awfully close to a Sorry. review Yeah, It's, it's hard
1: to talk, to talk about them without reviewing it a little bit, isn't it? <laughs> yeah.
0: <clears throat> yeah. Um, so my next one, uh, moving quickly on, is a thing called Raven's Reckoning. Hmm. And Raven's Reckoning is by... Dark Forest Tales is all I can Mm. say at the moment. Um, I'll come across his name a bit later on. Um, But Raven's Reckoning is a calendar for adventuring in the Forbidden Lands. Ah. And, you know, I kind of wish I'd picked this up (laughs) earlier on, right at the beginning of our campaign, because I have kind of fudged the days. I do remember, I think, in the beginning of the very first scenario, going, right, this is the day, this is the time of year that we're starting on and then forgetting about it entirely within the space of one of our sessions obviously we talk about quarter days quite a lot and we're keeping track of them quite well because that's kind of essential for uh, for that sort of game but uh, i honestly couldn't tell you you know how many days have passed since the beginning of the campaign as a whole i have no idea and this would be a very useful way of doing that so what he's done is he's created a calendar for the Ravenlands. Uh, um, and in fact, he's created a multi-year calendar. So it goes from 1165 to 1171, Ooh. I think. He's made up some date and names for the days of the week. So we've got Sunday, Moon Day, Blood Day, Earth Day, cool. Growth Day, Feast Day and Still does, Day. Um, does, so does,
1: does Forbidden Lands, do they, do they tell you how long the year is? Or are we just assuming it's 365?
0: Um well I, uh, let me let me <laughs> tell you a little bit about the months. Uh, I can I think this is sourced from Freedom Lands I vaguely remember seeing this somewhere. So his months are spring rise and spring wane and summer rise and okay, summer wane cool. fall rise and fall wane and winter rise and winter, rain, uh, winter <laughs> wane winter And these months have got um, 45 or 46 days. Right uh and i i got a vague idea that i read something that that this would apply to and be you know if you like correct i think the only thing that has been entirely made up are the names of the days i don't remember anything like that being mentioned and i did start thinking about that myself and trying to name a day after each of the gods that we you know come across um but you know i i kind of gave up on that so um so, yeah. Uh, so yeah, this is, and, and basically this is kind of uh, almost like a tally sheet. Mm. So each day is marked with four squares of which one of them is slightly dark. And so, you know, you've got to, you've got to take at least some mm-hmm. rest. Um, or in fact, actually it kind of goes, uh, so spring rise, two of them are dark and two of them are light. Summer rise, three of them are light and one of them is dark. Winter rise, yeah. one of them is light and three of them are dark. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, you can kind of. Keep a track of uh, the sun rising and falling. He's also added a little bit where he says, you know, forage is plus one in Freeze, right. for example, and minus two. Yeah. And, uh, I like that. Um, so I like that. So I think cool.
1: there's um, the idea of, of kind of tracking or campaign in that way is really it, it really appeals to my nerdy, you know, slightly OCD kind of bookkeeping brain um, because you can go back and kind of reminisce yeah you, know, you can see your your journey your life like increasing before yeah. you as you're, as you're as you're filling out your uh you know your your travel sheet or your time sheet or whatever you want to call it your calendar um i think the one yes. thing that one thing i did with um with my coriolis campaigns was need you know you need to track how many days have passed and in the back of the the notebook that i was using to write the scenarios i was then Writing down, you know, the scenario, each scenario, and what days that covered, and that started. Maybe, maybe we could, if we had something similar for Coriolis, maybe that might be good for that kind of thing. Well, it's funny
0: you should say that, actually, because you know, now we're doing this campaign, we're streaming um,
1: on YouTube. Yeah, uh, what's the thing? Mercy called? of the icons. The, the yeah. Mercy
0: of the icons. I um, and admittedly, in the first act, I think there are some some dodgy times. I think i think there are days mentioned that are incorrect i have to review them but we definitely you know in in, in the first stage of the investigation when you and tony were asking so when yeah. did this happen i remember being a bit confused as yeah. gm because something seemed to be and, happening and the timeline
1: at that point felt really important to us
0: yeah, yeah yeah as it would um uh anyway so that i think there might be some actual errors in the text there but, of course, I didn't work them out. And th- what I haven't been doing, I did I did remember saying we're starting nine days before the mm. cyclade. I remember that very clear. But, again, I haven't kept track of no. those. And it's made me think uh, I should be doing this for Coriolis as well. Uh, one of the interesting things about that is we do know how many days there are in, in a Coriolis cycle instead of a year. We know there are nine months as well. And I've been thinking, well, actually, there. The, the nine months are named after each of the um, icons and it dawns on me that the days of each of those uh, segments of the, there's three segments in a uh, in between each of the big public holidays. Um, The the void days,
1: as I called them in, in a piece some, some time ago.
0: Yeah. Well, yes, exactly. So um, there, the potential, there's a potential for having nine weeks, uh, sorry, nine day weeks as well. Uh, within that but then that leads one sort of if you like void day every month Mm. uh, which i i've been thinking well that could be um the day of accounting which is the day you pay Mm -hmm. your bills anyway this is getting so i'm thinking about a calendar and i'm thinking seeing this that maybe i should make one a bit like this for our Mm.
1: is there is there a homework task here maybe
0: (laughs) oh oh there might be there might be Uh, what i'd do differently though and this is great uh, and I love the, the fact that you can track off the quarter days on this. But when it comes to looking back on that, there's not quite. I mean, you can write in the margins about stuff that happened on all these days, but there isn't actually
1: space for comments. Space. Okay.
0: Well, there is at the end. So I think you know, he's in Canada. At the end of his five years worth of calendar, there's a number of pages of uh, a kind of this is the day, and it says location, year, the date of the year. And then it's got some boxes marked off um, for uh, for morning, day, evening mm. and night. And there's some space for notes there. I just wonder whether we might be able to integrate that with the sort of calendar you know, you might have on your walls with a bit more space on each day to write what actually happened. Particularly because Coriolis doesn't use quarter days. Yeah. So I think I'd do it a little yeah. bit differently there. That, um, that, that's, anyway, that's quite that's, a good... I
1: like, I, I, I like that idea of actually... Kind of producing exactly that a calendar.
0: And so the last piece before we break for the interview is Mutant Year Mutant Solo. It Tell is me about yeah, so
1: Mutant Year Solo um, by Peter Rudin Burgess, uh, Parts Per Million Limited, is um, a um, it's a solo rule, um, a solo role playing rules for Mutant Year Zero, and. It's. I mean, it's something I've never done, but I, I. I understand that there are quite a lot of people out there who do uh, like to, you know, particularly in these kind of days when it's difficult to get together with people, um, you know, who enjoy these kind of solo games where where you 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 draw you you draw you you build the story as you go. It's almost like writing your own story, but in the game, you know, in um, Mm-hmm. in in the mutant year zero universe so i've never done it um so this was a new thing for me to be to be looking at uh this kind of idea there's some really nice ideas in here about how to do that uh, there's a big thing about asking yourself a question in terms of the environment or the situation that you're going into and then generally a yes answer to that question will be positive to you but you get you get kind of three levels of, of how good that yes is, so you get yes but, and there's some kind of complication. Mm-hmm. You just get a straight yes where yeah it's okay, or you can get a yes and where there's something more positive that 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 comes out of that. And si- yeah, and similarly with no, so you get no because um, you know which is the 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 yeah, it's a no but it's a kind of a reasonable no. If you see what I mean? Then you get the flat yeah. no, and then you get the no and, and then something worse is going and to come it out of us.
0: So let me just understand this correctly. So you can choose whether it's positive or negative, yes or no, but then you roll the dice to see how bad or good your yes or no. No. Could
1: so be. when you when you ask no? yourself a question, okay. you you take six dice uh, and you roll them, and for every mm-hmm. um, nuclear symbol you get, if you're using the Mutant Year Zero dice, or every six you get. Um, you get a level of yes. So one success is yes but, two successes is yes, and three successes is yes and. And similarly with the biohazard symbols, if you get one, you get no because. If you get two, you get no. If you get three of those, which is a bad result, it's no and something bad happens. But then you, 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 you trade them off against each other. So if you get two positives and one negative, you end up with one positive out of those out of those right. six dice. Um, yeah.
2: Uh,
0: yeah, and then so you so what happens if you roll and you just get a bunch of
1: threes and fours. So you then get kind of yeah, you get what they describe as a no result. Right. So if you get no symbols um, or they cancel each other out completely to a null result, you have you get you get a complication in effect. Um, and a complication is a change of circumstances that kind of takes the original question and makes it irrelevant. So something unusual or unexpected has happened. Yeah, uh, it's, it's it's interesting, and there's lots of tables in there that help derive those results. So you can roll dice, and then you see what what the outcome is. Things like NPC reactions to what you're uh, what you're doing, and th- their reaction will be friendly, neutral, or hostile depending on how well <laughs> those six dice roll for you. And then you roll a D6, and it will give you uh, you know so a, a six on neutral. Um, yeah, they're pursuing an unrelated objective, so aren't really interested in you. A six on hostile, mm. they're pursuing a counter objective, and so actually they are actively uh, working against you. Working yeah. against you. Um, yeah, and it's it's a really good document. It actually gives you some stuff, some random tables, which would be perfectly useful in a a normal traditional game of mutant. So it's got some um, sort of t- typical NPC stats if you wanted that for quick reference. There's tables for randomly generating non-player characters um, through all of the archetypes. So enforcers, gearheads, fixers, dog handlers, all the rest of it. And that's really helpful um, if you wanted to quickly generate an NPC in your traditional campaign. Random name table, which is always helpful for a GM at the table. Um, Especially around our table nowadays where we become a bit bit, bit (laughs) bit like arseholes when we're asking for the names of non-player characters. You're meant to. You're meant to grow out of that thing. <laughs> well, I've kind of grown into it. I'm much more. I'm much more uh, of an arsehole yeah, about it now than I was a couple of years ago. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And and it gives you also random threats and uh, all that kind of stuff. So it's it's a nicely done, nicely done document. Um, it also gives you uh, your reference tables and your record sheets, so you can print those off from the end of the document, and that gives you pretty much everything you want. to 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 write your story down as Mm. you're as you're creating it yeah a good a good piece of work
0: well shall we take a break from listening to our voices and listen to our voices (laughs) talking to some other people
1: well hopefully if we did the interview well we don't talk very much and michael and craig do all the chatting
0: so we're joined over the interweb from toronto live in toronto what time is it there michael
3: It is uh, just past noon, 10 minutes past noon. 10 minutes past noon, very civilised
0: hour. Uh, And you're Michael (laughs) Prescott, and you are the creator of Trilemma Adventures, which we will talk about in a moment, but not before we've introduced Craig Atkins, who is somewhat closer to the studio here.
2: Um, (laughs) uh,
0: Where are you
4: based, Craig? Uh, I'm in sunny Hastings. Hastings, Mm. lovely, lovely old
2: town.
0: (laughs) and uh, you are here as well to talk a little bit about something you've been inspired to do uh, by Trilembra Adventures but what we always like to ask all our guests on the show uh, is tell us a little bit about
4: your life in gaming and I guess Craig why don't we start with you? Okay um, so I've been gaming I think for about 35 years or so. Um, Started when I Just kind of stumbled into a uh, after school gaming club, um, which I think a lot of us is is how we got to start. (laughs) Um, Played AD&D was my first uh, foray. Um, It was also my first experience of kobolds, which was quite fun. (laughs) Um, Personal
1: personal experience of kobolds. Personal (laughs) experience of kobolds. Yeah.
4: Um, and my first character death, I believe But I think that was because I missed the session Not because uh, the dice were stacked against me <laughs> It took a while for me to then step into GMing And picking up you know games and stuff like that A couple of years later, uh, 1987 rolled around And the first edition of the Star Wars roleplay came out I don't know if you guys remember that West End Games yeah. West End Games um, I bought that with, uh, my, with my £10 in my hand Which came were mm-hmm. very cheap back then And basically never looked back. I've been running Star Wars in all its iterations Um, since then. I generally take the role as a games master, um, which is, which is fun, but people do wrestle it off me sometimes. (laughs) And, you know, I've, I've played Traveller, the classic, you know, Traveller, um, Paranoia, um, Cult, I think first edition Cult, which was quite interesting. Um, Lots of kind of sporadic games through the years. And, but, I also stepped into doing um, playtesting for Fantasy Flight games for their Star Wars version.
1: Nice.
4: Mm. Um, so if you look at any of the books, most of them have got my name and my group's name in it. Yeah, and, I, I, and then I stepped into, I was looking for a game whereas I could do an open world kind of hex crawl with my players and Forbidden Lands pops up on Kickstarter. Mm. Um, as I was, I was researching, I think it's West, West Marches, looking into that gaming type. Forbidden Lands came along and it just kind of all fit. And then I'd spent a tonne load of money to get all of the mutant Coriolis books as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I think I could say that's, that's now my favourite system. Cool And a
0: great system it is too. And of course, it's the sole reason for this existence. But um, Michael, <laughs> I guess you've taken a different path that doesn't end up right on our podcast front step.
3: It doesn't. No. I mean, I started, <laughs> I guess I was seven years old in a bookshop and I saw the, uh, I guess the Moldvay D&D boxed set and none of my friends were into it at that point. And I, I knew I had to have it. I didn't know what it was. <laughs> and so I begged my parents to to buy it. It was $20 Canadian, as I recall. And we got it home and I was like, okay, dad, let's play this now, you know? And so he opens up the book and there's 64 pages of four point type by uh <laughs> our friends at TSR, and he just he rolled his eyes and thought, oh, God, there's no way we're going to play this tonight. But he, uh, he he took the evening to kind of figure it out, and, and I, was, I was set from there. Um, a few years later, I was in England. I've, my uh, parents are both from, from Britain, and, uh, you know, we were doing the obligatory tour of castles and cathedrals, and I think just... Mm-hmm that cemented my my love of maps. The two things just, uh, you know, really converged, dungeons and, you know, I collected every map I could find. Um, I remember a few years later, I was uh, in my attic with a, a pad of graph paper trying to draw all 666 layers of the abyss. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think I got that far. I probably made it about 18 or 20 in. That's
1: pretty good going, though.
3: <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was a, a worthy project, but uh, I don't think I had what it what it took at that point. But my gaming career was divided more or less in two parts. I somehow fell out of it after uni, um, but then in, uh, I was part of a War Master, you know, Games Workshop had that uh, six millimeter uh, War Master game. And at one point we'd been playing this for, for uh, a year or so, and we all looked at each other and we all realized we'd been playing D&D in our past mm-hmm. lives. And we got back in around the time of third edition. And um, I think by that point, I was really interested more in, in narrative structure. And I stumbled across the game Burning Wheel, mm-hmm. uh, which is, you know, quite a thing in its own, in its own right. And uh, we, you know, I found a face-to-face group here in Toronto and uh, we played the heck out of that. And then we kind of moved into some story games, things like We Used to Be Friends by Jonathan Lavallee and Urban Shadows and, and Blades in the Dark. So right now we're mm-hmm. playing kind of a, a steady rotating roster. But um, uh, yeah, that, that's, that's pretty much my, my capsule history of gaming.
0: Brilliant. Now, I've got to say, you are also incredibly creative and um, you, you've produced this fabulous book, which is available on, um, on Drive-Thru and we'll put uh, uh, links in the show notes. But um, what, what, what started, uh, what was the seed of Trilemma Adventures?
3: Right. So, as I said, I'd always loved dungeons and maps. And, you know, we'd been heavily into kind of story and character focused games and the folks at Burning Wheels sent me a playtest copy of what was then gonna to become Torchbearer. And so mm-hmm. I thought, hey, why not? We'll give us a crack. And of course, what Torchbearer needs is large quantities of small dungeons. Mm. And so suddenly I was 12 years old again with my pad okay. of paper, figuring out how we were gonna get through this session. And um, it, wasn't, it was around that time uh, that I started getting interested in something called the One Page Dungeon Contest that you might be yeah. familiar with. That's been run by uh, a series of people over the years, but it's such a kind of cauldron of creativity, mm. you know, cause you're trying to squeeze everything into into one page, trying to be clear, trying to be attractive, you know, to kind of hook the GM. Um, and and a friend of mine, Michael Atlin and I, he's part of my face-to-face uh, group. Uh, we did something called uh, Dungeon Town, which was our first entry. And it didn't do too well, but it kind of, again, gave me the bug. So when Torchbearer rolled around, uh, it became clear, it wouldn't it be really fun just to polish these up and essentially publish my DMs prep? So that's how it started. I became aware of Patreon, again, around the same time. It's just a, a lucky confluence of factors. So I, I started up a Patreon and I published the first adventure. I was, at the time, publishing them in the, in the Torchbearer forums and people were kind of, um, you know, I got a good response. So that was fun. And I just kept going, and I think for me it was a lovely kind of uh, format for my the way my brain works. It's nice to be able to start a project and finish and wrap it up within you know in the course of a weekend or you know a week with a couple of cracks at it.
0: So I've got to, let's talk a little bit about that process. Um, I, I shared I shared the book with you, Dave. I don't know whether you've got a copy in front of you, but these maps are gorgeous. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, they're the isometric, isometric maps. <laughs>
2: um,
0: so they're sort of cutaway dungeons uh, with various levels all represented in, on the same map. You've got effectively um, one page with the drawing of the map on about a third of the text. Um, so uh, about a third of the page, the other third is text. The second half of that, there may be an illustration in the, and, and the rest of it is jam-packed full of adventure. Really, um, again, what's the word I'm looking for here? Brief and to the point. Lot, you know, lots of story hooks in every in every paragraph. Succinct,
1: uh, I think is the word you're looking for.
0: Succinct is the word. That's exactly <laughs> the word I'm looking
3: for. Thank you, very I much. I get it in the editing pass. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. No, no, I like, like to keep Matt's ramblings in because it just, you know, shows him for the for the person that he is.
3: Well, I was laughing because that process is a lot like my process. I'll I'll write it out, but then um, you know I'll start with a map. Often it'll it'll you know i will be downstairs and everybody's watching television, and I'll and I'll get kind of inspired to just draw. Maybe it's a, a random dungeon, or maybe I've had kind of a, a spatial concept that I want to do. Like it's a it's a sinkhole, and you can see the you know parts of the dungeon all around it, or something like mm-hmm. that. Um, that's kind of a backwards process for a lot of RPG production. Usually the art comes last to kind of fit into a particular space or to illustrate something. And the way I work it, it's not, it, it doesn't work that way at all because I've, uh-huh. I've got this dungeon, often it has kind of tendrils that sprawl into the text area. So I've got a, so in many cases I, I will be sitting there and I'll be thinking, how do I get these 10 words down to four? Um, mm. because i 'm a centimeter over, or you know i 've got an extra mm. inch here what what can I write up that will fit yeah. into that space and so it 's a it 's a kind of a strange maybe inorganic uh kind of creative process, but it it does seem to work out I mean, <laughs> so it takes you 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 said a weekend to to do one of these from start to finish? Well, I mean, the maps, uh, a map, depending on the level of polish, um, I was thinking back on my process. When I first started, uh, the maps are a little less smooth than they are now. I think if you can see in the early, they're mostly in chronological order in the book, Stellarium. But skipping to a, the end. To see yeah, exactly. it's a little bit rougher, but if you look at the one of the later ones, like into the Silent Temple, the level of detail is is much higher. Um, I. Uh, it, but even so, it does take me, I think, about between eight and eight and ten hours to do the map, and then maybe a similar amount of time to do the writing uh, in a couple of passes.
0: They, yeah, they are just gorgeous. And they are probably better at the end. I think, for me, mm-hmm. the illustrations look more detailed, the spot illustrations and stuff like that. They're, they're, but they're all gorgeous, all the way through the book. And uh, again, I, you know, I I have to share some... Jealousy with the audience here now because I spent four years at art college and I can't draw like this. My maps, as Dave will attest, are sure.
2: terrible.
0: <laughs> I didn't. Mean, this is a family show, Dave. <laughs> but really? yeah, they're that yeah. <laughs> yes, they're bad
2: too.
0: I'm really jealous of your of your technique, Dave. Sorry. sorry, I can't. I mean,
3: that doesn't go away. I mean, every. I think it, you must know this. Every artist has a a gaggle of other artists and they think, you know, what they do is magic. There's no way I could even begin. And I think everybody's, everybody's like that.
1: Ah. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I I criticize Matt's maps, but they're, they're, they're only fractionally worse than mine. So it's like, uh, uh, yeah, again, I, I'm envious of people with that, with that talent to be able to make, yeah the maps into such an artwork, actually. I think it's, it's brilliant.
0: so so how long ago was it you started the um the patreon and the patreon
3: yeah it started in january 2014 so now it's been uh, basically six and a half years since i've been doing it uh the last year i haven't been nearly as productive because i set myself some fairly ambitious stretch goals uh, coming out of the kickstarter Uh, Mm. so all my all my free time has been going into that i think typically in a year Mm. i'll produce 10 adventures and this uh since the kickstarter ended in a May, a year ago, I've produced two. So that, that kind of tells you the amount of effort that I, that I set for myself. Mm. So yeah,
0: you kickstarted
3: then. then. Uh, uh, when did you start planning
0: the Kickstarter? When did you think, look, I've got a whole bunch of maps here. Wouldn't it be nice if they were in a book?
3: Yeah, that was um, also a long process. I think probably about three years in, I knew I wanted to make a book. It seemed like it could be a thing that could come together and you know, I've got a, a busy life like a lot of people. I've got a, a day job. I've got some you know kids, family, all sorts of things. I, I do need to get outside once in a while instead of <laughs> you know, stuck glued to this chair. But um, I think it was really uh, in the probably six months leading up to the beginning of the Kickstarter. So I guess that would have been the beginning of 2019 that I just decided I had to give up video games. Mm. And that was painful. Uh, but I just thought you know every minute that I spend doing that. I'm not doing this other thing, you know, and it, yeah. you know, I was doing commissions for other people occasionally, uh, you know, getting into the art more seriously was really um, a good friend of mine, Jude Hornborg, who does a lot of Warhammer uh, fan supplements. Um, but basically, between the commissions and, uh, and video games, I just, you know, and the monthly adventures, I wasn't making any progress. So it was really, I guess, the, the six months leading up to it where it was, you know, really, really
1: serious. Yeah, um, yeah, I had something similar where uh, I used to play a lot of video games and I'm not, not so much anymore. And my wife always used to complain, why don't you stop playing games and do something, do some gaming stuff, do something useful. So I did. And now she us, why don't you stop doing all that gaming stuff and do something useful. <laughs> can't win. Can't win. Yeah, uh, sorry. No.
0: Craig, when did, when did you spot the Kickstarter?
4: So um, I did, I've been following Trilemma for a while. Um, hoovering up the adventures I think as soon as um, Forbidden Lands came out it was like right where can I find some adventures that I could just drop into this this world and um, Michael's work kind of uh, suited that quite well um, although then I soon learned that there were these lots of different creatures that came from other worlds and it got a little bit complicated but that's another story um, so I did stumble across the Kickstarter and I have to put my hand up here in that I didn't back it Um, because I'm, I'm a kind of an all or nothing type gamer. Um, and Michael was kind of, um, as part of the Kickstarter, the pledge was mainly around this magnificent book, Mm. um, this magnificent physical book and the kind of the inner geek in me goes, well, I must have it. Mm -hmm. Um, and then I looked at how much the shipping cost was, <laughs>
2: okay.
4: and and then I went, nah, I must have it, but I can't have it. Is it the cost um, of the ship? <laughs> yeah. So and um, so, I think I I just backed out of the Kickstarter. Um, sorry, Michael. Um, oh, well. <laughs> <laughs> because a PDF, I like PDFs, but I run my games uh, off of you know ha- book. book in book in hand. I like Please to have do. a book in in hand. It makes it much easier. I think just running it at the table um maybe it's just because of my age i don't know so so i i didn't i didn't follow i didn't end up following the kickstarter all the way through and i backed out um i've since managed to buy a hardback copy off of drive-through um which i have um, about i think it's in the other demand. room I, yeah print on demand which obviously they print in the uk so postage was a, a lot cheaper um but every time i talk to michael i'm like i really wish i'd one of your books
3: <laughs> we'll find a way there's a couple leftovers
2: <laughs>
3: Well, you're paying for it now by doing all this
0: work craig um but yeah so kickstarter was really successful i i'm guessing for you michael well
3: yeah i mean what i realized in hindsight is that i had been marketing the kickstarter for five years so i made the decision as part of the patreon to give away all the content for free mm-hmm. and structure the patreon not as kind of a Uh, you know, a paywall, but just as a way to give donations and people were very generous and and did that. But as a consequence of that, people would take them and print them and bring them to conventions or just share them freely or a couple have been translated into other languages. Mm -hmm. And I think that really saved me from having to do two separate jobs, one of which I can do and one of which I can't. Uh, I can draw and I can't market. And mm. so uh, why not let the drawings be the marketing was kind of my mentality. So, mm. you know, I, I, it's easier to see in hindsight, but by the time the Kickstarter started, there was there was enough awareness that the, the launch day was uh, was pretty successful. You know, I, I did some things with Facebook ads, none of which really moved the needle at all. Uh, <laughs> okay. It was really organic word of mouth. Um, I did a couple other things that I, I thought were fun. I couldn't resist. I'll never do them again because I never burnt <sighs> myself to a crisp doing them, but one of them was... Um, having an interactive uh, kind of mass would play-by-post session during the course of the Kickstarter. So I was revealing the, the final dungeon that would be part of the book, you know, page, you know, room by room, okay, and cool. then kind of taking a vote amongst the backers in the comments about how they should, uh, you know, conduct this military scenario. It was an invasion of an underworld stronghold um, occupied by these, these underworld Dradkin that was tremendous fun, but um, it caused me to break one of the rules of uh, marketing that I've since learned, which is to have your content written ahead of time. <laughs> because, you know, when you have your your launch, uh, sorry, your stretch goals and your updates, it's nice to be able to write them a little bit ahead of time, proofread them when you're not paralyzed by adrenaline, uh-huh. and then to kind of push them out as you cross those stretch goals. I wasn't doing that. I was having to you know, at one point in the Kickstarter, I was traveling for work and I was in my hotel room trying to figure out how to hook my Wacom tablet up to my laptop so I could, you know, get out this this latest update. So it was a tremendous amount of fun. But again, it, it, uh, it cost We're me a it bit, again. <laughs> so Lessons I, uh, learned. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Blew a couple of lymph nodes on that one.
0: So, um, so was that the Into the Silent Temple adventure?
3: That was, yes. Exactly.
0: Right. Yeah. Which is a great one because your map sprawls over two pages there. You think you're done on the first page. And then you turn over. There's a whole other deeper level, yeah. darker, I'm sure, as well. Yeah, you talked as well about stretch goals since then having eaten into your time. So you got more stretch goals ticked off than you you imagined you would at the beginning. No, it was,
3: uh, the way no, it's simply scope creep. Um, you know, another rule of project management is to kind of make sure you know what you're trying to do and and stick to that. Uh, you know, one of the things that. Uh, a lot of people did ask me for stats for the creatures, so we, I don't know that we said this explicitly, but all the adventures are statless. I don't have a lot of room,
2: um, but also
3: I, because I was used to playing games like, you know, Torchbearer or even Basic Expert, these are kind of games with very simple stat blocks that you can do easily on your in your head as you go or things like Dungeon World, um, but despite that, there was a lot of demand for stats, and so, you know, I think as I was saying to Craig yesterday, one of the ways that you, know, you see stat blocks is in the, the first edition AD&D Dungeon Master's Guide. There's that appendix. I don't know which appendix it is, but it's about six pages and it's just, yeah. here's all the stats of all the monsters. That's probably what I should have done. <laughs> but, you know, Once I got the bug and I put up the, the Creative Commons version of the bestiary, so that people could theoretically stat them up themselves for their favorite systems, uh, I just let scope creeps go bananas. And so I was commissioning art and uh, basically what could have been three, uh, you know, simple reference table PDFs turned into three complete books,
2: uh, which is really how
3: we get to this, this, uh, this bestiary where Craig comes into the picture.
0: Yeah, and I've got to say, Craig, I know how, well, we all know here, listening to the Effect podcast, we know how Forbidden Lands works. And it isn't a simple stat block. You don't just have to say, oh, it's got X hit points and B for its attack roll. You've got to create those monster attacks for each of these. I'm guessing, Craig. Unless you look at anywhere, so there's a chunk of writing in this, and maybe, maybe a chunk of drawing from the text that Michael's already written. But maybe there's a chunk of putting, putting, filling in the details of some of those attacks that weren't there.
4: Yeah, it's kind of an interesting process. Um, So, I mean, it came about. I'll just tell you quickly how it came about. I didn't Mm. intend to do this. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> I didn't intend to do it at all. There was a guy on the internet, um, on on the Facebook group, um, Daniel Tobin, who kind of put out a call to say, and this was during whilst the the Kickstarter I think was was progressing, and said, look, it we, this these adventures are really good. I knew they were really good. I had some of them already, um, and he said it would be really great if if we could do a Forbidden Lands version. Is there anyone available, or would anyone like to work on a project with me? Um, and as as uh, Google Google Plus has now obviously disbanded, we're. Um, I'm, I'm, yeah, I miss it. Miss it terribly. I'm. Yeah. I'm. But I'm bumping into this same post on MeWe and and know, yeah, Reddit and and on Facebook. And every time, I'm like, yeah, I'll I'll, I'll happily help. I'll happily help. Um. And unfortunately for Daniel, uh, life got in the way. Um. And he had to back out the project. And I thought, well, actually, I'm I'm really interested in this. So. I wonder if I could do this. So I got in touch with Michael to say, look, could I Could I have a look at this? <laughs> um, I think I badgered him a little bit into giving me permission to, <laughs> to have a look. Um, but he very kindly sent over the fifth edition version, as it was at the time, the, the work in progress. I'd already, I'd, I'd already um, done some stuff for the community. I'd developed like, a monster generator using the Perchance generators, using the strange. Legends and Adventurers booklet. Yeah, so I pulled that all together, um, but as it as it kind of worked, I realized that following the pattern, I ran out of attacks quite quickly on some of the monsters. Yeah. So so then I had to develop a load of new attacks, so as that didn't happen because I always had to have six. That, that's what happens in Forbidden Lands. Um, so I developed that. Um, I also developed a session generator, um, which you could just basically do all of the random roles that um, for Forbidden Lands dungeons castles um villages and all of that yeah so i so i kind of worked out how of forbidden lands worked i think and the monsters how they all came together because i'd spent weeks and months trying to do this monster generator and then michael sent me the 5e stats for for the bestiary for um the trilemma book and i'd already done a little bit of work tra- converting some osr Monsters, and I posted that up on the forum, and I'd had some kind of feedback from people, and they were coming to me saying, "Craig, can you have a look at the monster I've converted?" And I mm-hmm. thought, well, that's really good. You know, my ego went up a bit, and <laughs> yeah. couldn't couldn't get out the door. Um, so I looked at. I mean, whilst whilst the fifth edition stat blocks are quite, uh, they're quite big. They they cover a lot of information. It's also really quite I found it quite easy to then be able to find a conversion formula All right. Yeah. to forbidden lands to work out how I could go from, you know, a, a strength of 18 to actually a forbidden land strength of five. And yeah, and, and things like that. Um, That's so I'd not spend, yeah, I'd, I'd spent some time around that. Which meant that when I looked at the fifth edition stats, I could then find a way to quickly convert most of the, the attributes.
2: Mm-hmm.
4: And so I took, I took that on myself, didn't know where it was going to go, didn't realize that I was taking on this mad project mm-hmm. and spent I think about six weeks converting all of the specific stat blocks from fifth edition to Forbidden Lands. Also worked out that I could use some of the attacks, but it did leave a lot of gaps as you say, Matthew. So yeah, I then had to, I then had to pull in some help. I went back to the internet, <laughs> went back to Facebook. Mm-hmm. And said, "Look, is there anyone that can help me?" And and um, I pulled in one of my close friends, um, Doug Ruff, who who was one of my gaming group, um, and a couple of people responded: Simon Bockvist and Riley Hay Cope Logan. I hope I've said his name correctly. <laughs> they volunteered to help out, with no expectation that this would become a paid project. It was a, <laughs> just a fan project at the time, um, and a lot of work and a lot of sweat, pain, and tears later. <laughs> Um, I think we're, we're finally finally there with all of the text.
1: So so what's, the, what's the sort of scale of the, uh, of the book? How many, how many creatures are we looking at? And, uh... um,
4: well, I think in the fifth edition version, there was 111 stat blocks. Right. In this version, there's uh, slightly more because as I go through and read Michael's work, I keep finding little uh, versions of characters or, or creatures that I want to stat up. Right. So I think I've, I think I've probably got about 118 different stat blocks in there.
1: And how many of those are requiring signature attack tables?
4: At least 70.
1: Oh, so I'm just trying to get a scale of the number of signature <laughs> yeah. attacks you've had to work out. <laughs> yeah, there, uh,
4: there's I, I think there's about there's about 70. There's some of the some of the entries would be classed as um, kin in mm-hmm. forbidden lands. Right, yeah. So they would be like the kin in the games master book. Um, pretty standard so stat be, blocks. Uh, yeah.
0: Like the Nuss, I guess.
4: Yes, yes. Yeah. Okay. Um, and the Dradkin, um, if that's how you pronounce it, and the Rickaloo. Yep. Um, yeah, I've been living these <laughs> creatures for, for months.
3: <laughs> we're getting so, tattoos soon.
4: <laughs> yeah, I might, I might get some pictures drawn up. So, yeah, I, so I think there's about 70 that needed actual full stat blocks. Um, uh, signature attacks yeah I'd gone through and picked out some that I thought were more creatures or animals and I I didn't put signature attacks for those but we had a little bit of feedback from Thomas at um, Freeligan to say obviously that attack signature attacks are a big part of the monster stat block so I've gone through and and used what they've done in the bitter reach and put um, instead of six attacks I put
1: three okay right
4: let me check out the bit I haven't me.
1: got my copy of Bitter Reach yet. So I'm stone.
4: It's the stone raven right at the end um, of the bestiary, Matthew. Uh, okay. Because okay. Um, I, I kind of developed a, a a rule of thumb that if it had less than an eight in strength, it didn't require signature attacks. Okay, that's a, um, that's a good idea. Because just, of just the amount that I had. Um,
2: yeah.
4: But because of Thomas's feedback and seeing that in the Bitter Reach, I went back to all of those that had about six or seven in their in their strength and added added three three additional attacks so.
3: I think it's really worth emphasizing this because you know, that, as someone who's less familiar with Forbidden Lands and, than you three um, you know that's what really impresses me the most about the system is just the the way that each of these monsters is given such a variety like because that's you know you can have the strength and attack and defensive value in any system but what does it do
2: yeah
3: what's interesting to kind of make it easy for a gm to just take this monster and have an interesting encounter right away you know that's the hard work that that craig's really been doing it's all that Mm. brainstorming and i know from Random tables that I've filled out that can feel a little bit like putting your brain against a juicer to try and You know <laughs> squeeze any little bit of inspiration out of it So uh, I think it's going to be a really useful uh, Set of monsters to drop into to a campaign. Yeah.
1: Well, I was partic- I-, I was particularly interested because I I did the um, The stats for the aliens and uh, in the alien RPG and did that ended Signature attacks which like, use signature uh, attacks in that game as well and that ended up being about eight well seven or eight that I had to do tables rather than seventy. And I know that was hard enough doing seven or eights, um, to try and, you know, get the character of the of the creature coming through whilst making each set of attacks uh, you know as unique as you could considering how how many how many you've got to produce. Yeah, I mean I took I took
4: a lot of inspiration from the, the fifth edition version. Um, although I I find the slam attack in fifth edition to be quite bemusing because i don't actually know what that means okay um and <laughs> trying to work out what uh yeah you know, what an undead attack does when it says slam it's like i don't i don't know what <laughs> is it it's, a, a, is it's it? a
3: skeletal headbutt
4: is it a headbutt <laughs> is, is it something so um so i took some inspiration from that and i was able to pull some attacks out of that and then going back to michael's work and you know reading everything i could about each individual entry Mm. Just to see, actually, what does this, what does this actually do? What is, this, what is it meant to do? And what is it meant to do in the adventure? Yeah. Um, which, is, which has been quite interesting. So mm. it, I think each attack, each lot of signature attacks and the overall finishing of each creature has taken about an hour of time. But luckily, I was travelling for work before the uh, the lockdown. So that helped quite a lot, actually, having that time sitting on a train or sitting in the
1: hotel room. Whereas I could be doing something more productive. But it's definitely a very impressive feat. Um, and I, I have a I have a yeah, at least a vague understanding of the challenge that you've given yourself. But that was uh, yeah, that's an enormous undertaking, a bit of work. So it's you know, very very well done.
0: So it's a labor of love, but it's not just a labor of love, is it? It's not just some stat blocks that are going to appear on the forums or maybe on a PDF. Um, What Mm -hmm. plans, Michael, Craig, have you got for the best jury?
3: So uh, in classic style, uh, you know, rather than just do a set of reference tables, as you you said, it's going to be a proper book. We're going to have a Kickstarter. The Kickstarter is uh, due to begin August the 4th and um, yeah so write write that down um if it's before august 4th when you listen to this come to trilemma.com and you can sign up to get the launch announcement Mm -hmm. Uh, that's trilemma as in dilemma but with uh, the three instead of two and um yeah, so we're going to get it done up into into a proper book. Um, we've got cover art. Uh, most of the monsters will be illustrated. So uh, we haven't. We're just about to go into page count, uh, starting to layout. Uh, so I don't know the page count yet, but it's going to be, I think, somewhere in the around the 180 mark. Right. Uh, we're aiming to match the kind of aspect ratio and size uh, of the you know free league books as, as closely as we can. So we intend it to be, you know, a, uh, an essential. Uh, mm. tool in a GM's go bag for the, uh, for the Forbidden Lands GM, just to try and add a lot of variety to the, uh, the monsters you have at your fingertips.
0: This is brilliant. This is really exciting news. Uh, and so this
3: is just
0: the uh, Year Zero Forbidden Lands version of the stat blocks. You mentioned the
3: 5e book, uh,
2: or uh,
3: the 5e... Right. So those are, all, those are all completed as stretch goals from the original Kickstarter. So those are basically just wrapping now. The fifth edition is out. There's a a basic and expert uh, D&D bestiary that's out now. And the Dungeon World version is just being uh, given to early readers. And I think, Craig, you're about to just pop the cork uh, in the next couple of days on your celebratory champagne for finishing all the writing. So we're gonna go into that uh, very soon. And so we'll get a really good sense of of page count. Uh, We may need some additional art. Uh, in which case we're going to get that. There's there's a lot of great artists that have contributed to this already, so you'll pull some really uh, fantastic illustrations um, from people like Juan Ochoa and Zay and artists like that. So you're
0: kick-starting it. Um, obviously, we've got to say to all our listeners, you have to kick-start this. Can I ask, though, Craig, where is it being shipped from?
4: That's a very good question. <laughs> um.
3: I, I can um, take well, that.
4: I'm, yeah, well... I, I, our intention is actually to kind of have distribution through drive-through RPG. Um, we're yeah. not intending to go to um, an external printer or distributor at this time. Um, I think it's it, from talking to Michael. And I think you said, Michael, that if we went that that route, it would take us probably another six months to get it out there.
3: So I, yeah, I mean, I did that for the compendium. Um, I learned a lot doing it and, you know, that, that, make sense at a certain scale. If if we have some kind of runaway hit on our hands and mm. who's going to bet against that, then that's something we'll consider. Um, but but the current plan is definitely to do print on demand. And that's, again, just a, a scope management. We really want to make this a as low risk a Kickstarter as possible. We're very excited about it, but we want to get it into people's hands yeah. as yeah. soon as possible. And this is not the Kind of uh, time, given the global landscape, to be doing anything, uh, you know, exciting. So that's going to be a
0: long stretch goal, if it's a goal at all, to have a a, a
3: proper bound version that isn't sure. Yeah, yeah. So we will have. Um, well, the current plans are to have both soft cover and hardcover versions, so the you know the price conscious can get it, uh, you know, easily, and uh, anybody who wants the hardback can have that to go with their other free league book. Brilliant. That sounds really
1: good. It does. Very exciting. Um,
0: I think I'm out of questions. Dave, have you got any more you wanted? Oh, no, I've got one more, but Dave, uh, since I passed out, well, do you have any that, questions?
1: Well, I think I might be asking the same question that you're about to ask. So, um, and this is all really exciting. We can't wait until August the 4th um, and we'll encourage all our listeners to go and back it and I'll go and back it. It's, it should be brilliant. Really looking forward to that. Um, have you any other plans or there any other uh, works in, in progress that you'd like to, to, to let us know about at this point? So I will be
3: returning to monthly adventure production as soon as this is in the can. Yeah. I've been threatening all my Patreon backers uh, that I will one day start <laughs> doing that, and they've been mm-hmm. very kind. Um, but that is my next uh, project, uh, is is volume two. You should look for that in 2027. <laughs> or whatever that. I have a couple of other projects on the go that might jump their way up the queue, depending on my inspiration. So one of those is... Uh, Something called "Too Good to Be True," which is my kind of "Powered by the Apocalypse" love letter to to BattleTech uh, Mercenary okay. Company. So it's right. it's a very um, you know, whip out the character sheets, pass them around and start playing kind of uh, version, which, you know, as anybody who's played BattleTech knows, is kind of the opposite the end of opposite that. The ah, yeah. uh, but, you know, I, I, I love all that art from my, my dog eared 3025 uh, reference manual. So mm-hmm. that, that may creep up the calendar a little bit. Um, and then of course, like everybody in their cousin, I've got a, a fantasy heartbreaker, which is actually the system that I've been using to, do most of my adventure playtesting and that's called After the Lords of Memory. And uh, that's being developed out in public. And so I'm looking forward to some opportunity to uh, do a few more revisions on that as well.
1: Yeah, cool, excellent.
3: Brilliant. Um, well, I mean, I, I, I'm gonna save my question
0: um, a little bit more. I just want to say <laughs> that this is great. I, I've, I've really enjoyed reading through Trilemma Adventures. They're just the thing for people to slot into their Forbidden Lands campaign when um, they don't want to roll the dice. I mean, rolling the dice is fun to create your adventure. <laughs> yeah. You've got little stories that uh, will slot in very easily. Now, I've got to say, we've been playing on the stream. Recently, we've been playing a bit of uh, Merc Boy. And uh, for those of our fans and Free League fans who are into Merc Borgia, I think these would fit in, in, in that Dark Tower as well. So everybody should rush out, get straight. Well, not rush out. They should stay home, keep safe, get on to uh, get on to uh, drive through and uh, and and buy Trilemma Adventures now and back that Kickstarter. But final question for you, Michael. Why are they
3: called Trilemma Adventures? I have no good answer to that. <laughs> uh, I, I would love. To, it's it's one of those. Um, how do I say? You know, like many of the adventures themselves. If I look back and to my sort of notebooks I had when I was 15 and 16, you can actually see some of the kernels of these adventures.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: And for whatever reason, that's a word that's also been rattling around in my psyche. Uh, it's a domain that I owned, and I've uh, become very fond of it, and I just became attached to my identity uh, mm-hmm. as a as a gamer as who's publishing things. And so there you go. It's just one of those accidents of uh, of naming. A trilemma <laughs> lost in the mists of time.
0: Yes.
1: Uh, it just means that every time you have a dilemma, it's that much worse. Obviously.
0: <laughs> it is. Well, it's <laughs> nice to have a third
1: option. <laughs> yeah.
0: Um, well, thank you, Michael. Thank you, Craig, for making you, time yes. in your busy schedules and your busy writing to stop and talk to us. been uh, great. Thanks for having <laughs>
3: us. It's been a lovely to chat. Yeah, it's been a real pleasure.
4: Um, thanks for coming on. Sounds good. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having us.
0: So I think this is a great example of, you know, just how uh, games inspire the fan community to do things. And you know, here we heard a story of Michael, a guy who was inspired by, what was it he was playing at the time, Torchbearer, mm, yeah. I think, at the time, um, to to create these one-page adventures. And and now through his Kickstarter, people have generated uh stat blocks all the creatures in as one played adventures of about three different systems just within the kickstarter of that and then cray came along and we've now got stat blocks and of course monster attack tables for these creatures in forbidden lands so you know everything all, all this energy from people who really enjoy playing these games goes into producing content which hopefully gives other people in the community the opportunity to enjoy the games and builds a community. And I think that's what this whole episode is really being about, in a way, with all the the Free League Workshop stuff that we're looking at, too.
1: Yeah, exactly. And I think, um, you know, there is is quite a lot of content out there. I I mean, I haven't looked at the Free League Workshop for a while, so I don't know. I'm not sure how much stuff, what volume of stuff there is on there. But um, I think this whole, uh, you know, the trilemma Michael and Craig Working together on on this beastery is is a really great example of something that I think is going to be fantastic, and uh, you know I'm I, you know, I'm going to get it for sure. I'm going to back it. It's um yeah yeah it's great. I mean I just love the fact that, that that free league has has taken this approach and they haven't been proprietorial or protective unless of course they have to be for legal reasons like alien. Yeah. Um, I love the fact they've been so open-handed with all of this, um, and it's led to a lot of great content being being created by lots of lots of great people, which is brilliant.
0: It's brilliant. I, and as I say, I mean, I think this is such great training ground. So you know, if you if you're wanting to break into, um, I mean, not that anybody should be wanting to break into making a living out of rpgs because i think it's really hard to make living out of rpgs (laughs) but if you want to get your name on on pro content um then producing this sort of stuff and just you know it's like an apprenticeship it's like learning learning how to do it and you know even reading all this stuff is making me think oh well i might do this differently myself Uh, but uh, we're going to come on to a piece in a bit which i think is really fabulous and and I know we're not reviewing, but I think this is the best bit of content uh, of all of the things I've seen, and and it's something to aim for. I think uh, for me, uh, when I finally get round to producing the, the song of the Songs. I was going to say,
1: isn't um, um, isn't that finished yet?
0: No, of course it's not <laughs> finished. <laughs> when, when, even as you... we record, I should be finishing the last. I was going to say, when
1: do you ever finish anything? Um,
0: <laughs> <laughs> hey, 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 I I've just finished summer in that's in true. December yeah. and sent that yeah. off to Freely. So true. um I have there are things I've finished. <laughs> cool. Um anyway. <laughs> and I think it'd be really good if we uh, maybe ran one or two of those Trilemma adventures, adventures in Forbidden Lands as a kind of one off stream, maybe with some of our patrons. I post-trail. think that's a great idea. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Let's make it so, number one.
0: Well, you, you're putting yourself in the Picard position and making me writer.
1: <laughs> yes. That's fine. That's what? fine by me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, cool. Anyway, right. So we've got three more offerings from the workshop and they're all Coriolis, aren't they?
0: Let's uh, kick off with one from uh, a friend of the show and dastardly rival of the show. <laughs> And that is uh, Matt Kay. his um, uh, the month <laughs> uh Lovely Matt Kay, boo, hiss, <laughs> uh, dark rival. Um, and he has produced the Coriolis Third Horizon mm. phrasebook. And, you know, this is an interesting bit of content that we saw on forums on the Google Doc or something before the Free League yeah. Workshop appeared. And, you know, what he's done is he's put it in the Free League Workshop format and um, put it out on the free league Workshop. We haven't talked prices with a lot of no. these things. And um, and maybe if we were doing a proper review, we should have noted that. Some of these things, I think this is one of them, is kind of pay what you want. And some of them, people want actual money. And um, yeah, I don't know. I, I kind of feel that people should value their work. And I think when it's pay what you want, you know, if you're saying, well, you, you could have it for free, then you're kind of devaluing yourself and your creative things. Mm. You know I mean
1: well i, I, I think know. there's another way of looking at it. i i i personally i think people should uh you know like you say charge something even if it's even if it's a yes. relatively nominal amount um because I, yeah. I think you know, i want the people who who you know put the time and effort put their love and their talent into these things to get a little bit of reward back for it um and i think they're you know paying you know it doesn't have to be, you know pound ninety nine or something or whatever um is the minimum you should be asking for. But I think on the other hand, it's you know, it's the generosity of this kind of community that, you know, puts things out there saying, you know, I don't mind if you just take it and use it. I'm not in it for money. Um, but if you want to support me a bit, then great, give me what you feel. Um, so I think that's great. I think where it falls down a bit is when, like you say, it's like, if anybody kind of takes the takes the principle as... Well, I'll pay you what I think it's worth once I've read it, or you know, I'll pay you what I think it's going to be worth. It becomes a more, um, what's the right word I'm looking for? A more sterile kind of interaction. And it's like saying, well, if you if you get yeah. nothing for it, does that mean you think it's worth nothing? If you give a fiver for it, you know. So I think it, 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 it's kind of how you how you kind of intellectually come to the come to the question. But I personally, if I okay. you know, I personally think that people should. Stick a little bit of money on it.
0: I think so. So this is only four pages. Well, in a way, it's only three pages because, of course, one of the pages is the cover. Um, uh, And so, you know, I'm I'm not saying you should be charging a pound a page for this, but I think it would be better, personally, uh, what I'd do if I'd produce this document is even sell it for 50 cents or 50p Mm. or 30p even, just to put a price on it and say... Here's the thing I've done. If you want to dig around in my Facebook pages, you can find my Google Doc. probably <laughs> where I did it originally. Yeah. And if you want it for free, put a bit of work in yourself <laughs> and get it for free. But I put the work in here. You know, Matt has put it on the on, on the template, he's typeset it, is he's, he's done not a little bit yeah. of work for a relatively short document. I feel he should be brave enough to well not brave enough. He should be confident enough to say it's worth thirty P of anybody's yeah. money. Um, Yeah. And in a way, I think when I see stuff that's pay what you want, I'm thinking, well, I haven't even seen it yet. Uh, How can I know what it's worth? Uh, And, uh, you know, probably just that moment of doubt in my mind, I end up possibly not buying it Mm. at all. Um, I can't remember what I actually paid for this, uh, whether I paid for (laughs) it or did it for free. I might have done it for free. Um, In which case, sorry. (laughs) But but you should have charged me 30p for it. I think also, I think there's definitely um,
1: also a thing about, yeah, a short document doesn't mean a document that hasn't had a lot of love and effort put into creating it in some, in some cases it might be more in order to make your, your offering more concise. Um, So I think that.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, this is a, this is a great example of uh, actually the value of this. It is only a short document, but the value of it is so much more than writing three pages of text because, Matt spent a lot of time in Southeast Asia and picked up a bunch of languages and has created a, you know, a sort of pigeon or patois of um, of a melange of lots of um, uh, Southeast Asian languages and, and stuck yeah. them in here. He's got, um, and all, all it is are some simple words that you can add into conversation uh, and just, you know, add a little bit of flavour to your Are, old, are there any so, insults? uh there are probably not enough uh <laughs> insults actually which of course is the main thing and swear words i think
1: just what um, you're really after isn't it matt uh that
0: that's what that's what everybody's really after that's what made firefly such a wonderful thing uh-huh. that's um you know n- nobody quotes the firefly where they say uh ni hao, to say hello i mean they do say ni hao, to say hello but what they what people like are the things that are saying uh for you yeah um and so there's, uh, yeah, so there are some little things like that. So, for example, in Firefly, they used to say Don Ma, yeah. meaning have yeah. you got it? And uh, here there's Ne, which is right. You know what yeah. I mean? Um, and uh, it, so he kind of says, uh, he, he gives you the word. He gives you the, the definition of the word or, or kind of what it means. And he tells you a little bit about where it came from. Uh, Arabic, Berber language, Hindi, Persian—nice, nice—or um, whether it's out the core book, and whether it's uh, Zenithian or first come—it's a nice little touch. Oh, he he sourced everything from um, the Dark Between the Stars and um, uh, the novel. Ah, uh, right, uh, yeah, as well as as well as the rules cool. as well. So you know, we've already said here. There's not only a bunch of his experience. But there's a bunch of actual hard work where he's gone through all these books, looking for all these words and sticking them in the list. I think anybody should be prepared to pay him 50p yeah. for this.
1: I hope we did. <laughs> I don't think we did. You need to go and buy
0: it again for 50p
1: then. <laughs>
0: well, maybe. Uh, um, I'll have a look and see. I don't know whether it's on my account. Whether I can see whether I paid for it. But um, uh, yeah, I did. Uh, so this is something I'd picked up beforehand. But the stuff that you're reading, uh, we have paid
1: for. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, Every, every one of those. Well, books. moving on then, unless there's anything else to say about Matt's phrasebook.
0: Uh, no, I think, I think I've think i ranted on. Sorry, Matt, about turning a <laughs> uh, little survey of your document into a rant on pricing. Yeah. And, uh, but yeah, you know, it's a nice bit of work. It's a short bit of work, but it's a great bit of work. People should be prepared yeah, to pay for cool. it. Cool. Right. Okay.
1: Matt. Well, next on my list is a document called Veterans of the Horizon by Eric Orlin and this is a compendium of new talents uh, cybernetics bionics and mystic powers for coriolis and yeah it's it's a, again it's a lovely document it's got the right look and feel it's got some nice nice artwork in it um, he's done an interesting thing with the um with the talents which is he's split them up by icon and there's there's no suggestion that um, you have to follow or be born under that particular icon to, to use them. Mm-hmm. But he's, he's bro- broken them up into the dancer sphere and the deckhand sphere and the faceless one sphere. And you've got a number of, of talents under those. And yeah, this, this really you know, expands the, the talent list quite some way from, from the original work. It gives you a lot of new options. Um, some of them are are kind of what you would expect they are a similar kind of um, mechanic to some of the talents that you've already got, but put into different situations with, with different attributes and stats. So for example, where you get talents that allow you to swap um, one one stat for another in certain situations. It does, it does a bit of that. Um, but also there are some really interesting uh, talents. I'll just pull out a couple. Um, one that maybe go, wow, I want this one. Is uh, under the dancers. There's a talent called "Where Are We"? Um, Corsair Fighter, which is basically it's a it's mm. a talent about fighting in close quarters. So you you mm. then lose the negative for using a a pistol in close combat.
0: In in in, con- in yeah. contact. Yeah. So range. basically, that's a plus yeah. three
1: bonus to your dice roll in that situation, mm. which is to thought, whoa, that's powerful. But again, it's quite it's quite. Um, situational but I thought that was that was really quite that was a nice one on the first page that immediately <laughs> made me open my eyes a little bit um there was another one he has called astrologer which allows you to do a reading a horoscope reading of somebody and it requires a ritual it takes you time but then it allows you to I'm trying to find the find the page that's on now But It allows you to um ask the GM a question about a non-player character or a player character which is really interesting it made me think also that maybe you could have gone one step further in that or had another talent which is similar but 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 different around maybe some form of tarot card reading so i thought that that would be quite Mm. a cool talent where you could read somebody's uh life in um you know using tarot cards i used to play about with tarot cards when i was a kid um
0: I was a professional.
1: It it was quite interesting that, you know, I don't, obviously, I don't believe uh, in in, in any of that kind of mumbo jumbo. But you could see how easy it is, even for me when I was sort of a teenager, to manipulate the answer in the way you want it. If you know, if you've got a little bit Mm. of knowledge about what each card can represent and the variety of things. So that that was all quite interesting.
0: Yeah, it's interesting, just a little aside, I was always a bit disappointed by the, uh, the Coriolis card deck, mm. because it just repeated one image of each of the icons yeah. every time that icon came up. And, you know, when you're reading that alongside looking into the book and seeing that, you know, the dancers got all these other aspects, like the beast, for example... I would have loved to have seen, if you like, a full tarot or something a bit similar where a number of different representations of each of the icons were represented on the card. And then, boy, could you have a fun reading <laughs> that. Yeah. There's,
1: there's, there's, there's one final um, talent I'll just mention, which is possibly the best one in the book. There's a discussion to be had about whether it should actually be a char- character archetype or talent.
0: It's a game-breaking...
1: Well, no, oh, okay. no, That's it's not. Right. It's called Fakia. And it, it's... I'll, I'll, just, I'll oh. read it out. It says, You've renounced all your possessions and worldly trappings to receive the icons enlightenment. You get plus two to all skill roles, but you cannot own burr, equipment or belongings beyond the clothes on your back. You can still take employment, but only accept food and housing as payment. Um, And I love that idea of someone who's just... It's like the Buddhist approach, isn't it? Um someone who's yeah. rejected material goods entirely or the material life entirely um but you could argue that the fakir could be an archetype but alternatively any character could pick up that way of life at some point yeah. so actually maybe it makes more sense for it to be a talent so i really like that i thought that was really imaginative and a nice a really nice touch that could bring a lot to the table in terms of role playing
0: and it's a great thing to almost go right i know i have been a legionnaire oh, i have been a
1: an assassin uh, or something yeah policeman.
0: i cast it all to one side i i strip away all my clothes and all my tools and i'm just going out in life as a fakir to to walk the earth like quai Kane in, in or shepherd Fu. book uh, <laughs> or shepherd yeah. book yeah, well, it's, yeah it's it's
1: clear that eric here is a firefly firefly fan um not through not through um <laughs> any kind of like stealing of of talent ideas or anything but just through the language he uses in the document um yeah absolutely clear
0: okay so this is the last bit and uh so you you, you ended on your your favorite um favorite talent i think uh, of all the things i've read this is my favorite free league supplement i know i'm not meant to be reviewing <laughs> no you're not <laughs> reviewing but this one really excited me, and it's worth every penny that's charged for it. I can't remember what's charged for it, but whatever is charged for <laughs> it is worth it. It is The Prisoner of Arcus. Mm. And it is a Coriolis adventure by uh, Moor Fritschofsson,
1: I think. Mm? Was it Moa uh, fritchoffson
0: Yes, M O A F R I T H I O F. Fritschofsson, double S O N. Um. A Um,
1: profuse apologies for butchering the pronunciation of your name, Moa, (laughs) if if we have butchered it, which I suspect we have. Uh,
0: And this was produced in Swedish, first of all. I saw it on the Free League when the Free League pretty much first opened with uh, this in Swedish. And there's now an English translation. And it's a great Hmm. adventure. Um, I I don't want to review it because I think we should play it before we, you know, before we gave an actual review. But just looking through it for, for the purposes of this program, we've got 36 pages of stuff here. Again, it's relatively illustration-like. There's some very nice character portraits, uh, but but not many. Um, so it's the sort of thing I know I've been uh, putting together for, um, for Song of the Siren that, you know, you can maybe illustrate three or four characters and then you run out of budget <laughs> for this sort of stuff. Um, it's got some lovely maps that look like Uh, They might appear in uh, a core book. It looks very professional. It uses the template that freely provided, but um, it uses it really well. Uh, It's an adventure that, again, feels a little bit Firefly to me. You might have imagined this being played. I feel potentially, or uh, rather set up a little bit like you think, oh, I know what this is. This is pretty much... um, uh Simon going to rescue his uh-huh. sister from uh, some okay. government establishment but it isn't and there's a there, there's a twist in that tale and I won't no. say so any more because um no spoilers spoil it. but yeah it's a whole adventure it's professionally done if I'm going to criticize it for anything it's that uh, purely from a typesetting point of view um obviously the columns are uh, justified and hyphenated and they're not hyphenated. That I think in a way, a native English speaker would hyphenate stuff. Okay, um, that's the the best. That's the most critical thing I can say of it. Yeah, yeah. It looks like I really want to play this. Uh, I don't know when we're going to get to play it because we've got plenty of adventure. Yeah, to do with. yeah. But but if we if we run out of Mercy of the Icon stuff, I might just quickly fold into this adventure. And we'll run okay. this one. It really just, I, you know, as soon as I started reading it, I was thinking. Mm, Um, nice so the prisoner of arcus um if you want a coriolis adventure i think you would be well pleased with this one um and i was having a little bit of a conversation with somebody on twitter who said oh there's not enough you know there aren't enough supplements for coriolis Mm. and i said well you know check out the free league workshop he said oh i don't want any of that sort of stuff i want proper supplements this is as close as you'll get to a proper published um adventure um, from Coriolis out of free league nice.
1: cool. what a what a, what a nice uh, note to end on but I, yeah I'd like to just thank yeah. all of the all the people we've we've uh, we've talked about producing all these documents a lot of work's gone into them they're all really really good things and uh, you know let's let's all support um, you know, the fan community who, who take the time and effort to put stuff up on the free league workshop uh, yeah if you're in the if you're the least bit tempted go in there and, and support them buy their products. And um, you know, let's let's support them in creating more.
0: Yeah, and we're not a review show, but if uh, if people um, uh, point stuff out at us, uh, then we might at least put it in our world of gaming if uh, we have a look at it and um, and sort of share the news of yeah. it. Um, let's let's encourage this 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 yes. thing as it were.
1: Right, we've been banging on now for a very long time. This is going to be a bumper bumper episode. So I think we ought to be uh, drawing ourselves to a close. Um, the last, the last. Yes.
0: And what are we going to do well,
1: next week? Then
0: you've given me some I homework. Have, yeah. Can I think of something to give you homework on? Um, yeah. We've run out of Faction Zone Coriolis now. Uh, properly run out. Um, although we still have to write some up. Um, up. Upp. Right. Okay. I have. I have your homework UPP. for you. The UPP from okay, Alien. Cool. Now uh, we've been, you've been running an adventure for us that we can't share too much details of uh, because it's a free league adventure. It's uh, <laughs> coming out soon, but we encountered some UPP people there. You ran, uh, you created uh, uh, Alien Aurora, which we put on our actual play podcast uh, a while ago. So UPP, the Union of Progressive yep.
1: Peoples, right? I will. Tell me I about that. Will. Tell,
0: collect together everything we know and uh, add some nice stuff to it.
1: Aye, aye sir. That's a shame. And here's quite account. a lot. I'll see what I can manage in between <laughs> now and then. Cool. Okay.
0: So, uh, so in our next show, we're talking about uh, the UPP and uh, Coriolis calendar, which I'm going to uh, um, think about between now and then. Have you got anything else to say before we start? I don't think about?
1: so, other than um, stay safe, everybody. It's been a pleasure. Look forward to seeing you next time. And it's bye from me. And it's goodbye from him. And. I'm not saying <laughs> The icons bless your adventures. You have been listening to the Effect podcast, presented by Fiction Suit and the RPG Gods. Music, stars on a black sea, used with permission of Freely Publishing.